congratulations on making it to church on the first day of the new year. I'm, I'm impressed. I, frankly, I'm impressed I got it here as well. Um, it is New Year's Day, uh, which is, of course, noteworthy, but even more noteworthy, perhaps, from a different perspective is uh, the feast day that is today. It's the feast of the holy name of Jesus. If you if not, if you're not familiar with what that is, I wasn't either. In fact, Becca and I, I asked Becca what it meant earlier this week when we had our meeting to t- discuss liturgy. Anyway, I found out what it means, what this feast day is all about. It is uh, the celebration of Jesus' name and the giving of his name. And it is an odd day in that nothing incredible happens except that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, incarnate Lord, is given an actual name. And so we read in that passage that I just read from Luke, Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day after his birth, which according to the rabbinic tradition makes him an Israelite, a child of the everlasting covenant. And then as part of that ceremony, he's named, he's given a name. It's not unlike what we do when we baptize children. We ask them to name this child. He's given a name. And that might not sound like a huge deal again, except if you pause and think about it, if you know someone's name, if you claim familiarity with them, it means you actually have a kind of power over them. Here's an example from Scripture that might be helpful. <clears throat> Back in the book of Genesis, there's this famous story where Isaac and Rebekah have twin boys. One of them is named Jacob, and the other one is named Esau. And Esau is the firstborn of these two which means he is the older son. He is the one who lays claim to the rights of inheritance. All that the father has, in other words, will one day be his, rightly. But there's a twist in the story, as you may know. One day, as the two boys are sort of coming of age, they're reaching the age of maturity, Isaac, their father, is old, can't really see. And Jacob, you remember this, disguises himself as his brother and tricks Isaac, his father, into giving him the blessing of the firstborn. And the kind of critical moment in all of this, when you see uh, the deception really happen, is chapter 27 of Genesis, verse 18 and 19. It says, So Jacob went to his father and said, My father, and Isaac said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob then says to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up that your soul may bless me. Isaac goes on to bless Jacob under Esau's name, and the remarkable thing is it actually works. Isaac is promised to pass on abundance and authority and the continuation of the promise given to his father Abraham, the flourishing of this whole family that's meant to be as numerous as the stars in the sky in order to bless the entirety of the world, and that is exactly what happens. Eventually, you may know this, Jacob goes on to have 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the representative founders of the 12 tribes of Israel who then become the great nation, the people of God. So it works. But you see, my my point is in Scripture, to know someone by name gives the power to bless them or to curse them, to receive all that God may have for someone, and that's exactly what we see with Jacob, except that he steals it. He takes his brother's name, and he receives the blessing that rightly belongs to his brother. That's the point. Blessing, it actually, it does something. And the name of that person directs the entirety of the blessing. It applies it. It it lays claim to all that that blessing is. And so now if we step forward a little bit, just over 100 years, to 
the reading we had today from the Old Testament, from the book of Numbers, where he read that famous blessing, we can see how all of this begins to work and take place. From the book of Numbers, God tells Aaron, get your sons, who are the priests of Israel, to proclaim these words over the Israelites as they come into the tabernacle on their way to the promised land, as they journey toward the land that God has prepared for them, is going to give them. He says, say these words over them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then God says, and this way, with these words, you will place my name, you'll place my name upon the people of Israel. As you see here, it is exactly like Jacob, but it's the reverse. It's not stealing the blessing, rather it's given to them. It's freely offered. The priests take God's name, God's blessing, his whole character, and they place it over the people of Israel so that they can carry it. And this is even more interesting because if you think back some of the details of the story in Genesis, you'll remember Jacob actually takes the clothing of Esau. Do you remember that? He takes Esau's clothing in order to deceive his father. He puts it over his body in order to claim that blessing. But here in the book of Numbers, again, it's the same, but it's different. The priests take the Lord's name and the Lord's favor, and they place it over the people of Israel, that they might claim and receive all of the blessings, all of the promises that had been promised to Abraham generations before. Uh, a visual image of this might be that famous painting from Rembrandt. Do you all remember this? Of the, of the prodigal son. The prodigal son has returned home after being incredibly wasteful, uh, and disobedient, and he, he comes back, and in the image, the father has taken his red cloak, and he's placed it over the shoulders of his son, who is filthy and disgusting and in rags, and then the, the hands of the father are laid over his shoulders in this complete and total embrace. You see, the point is the cloak, the blessing, it's covering the son, and he receives it. It's beautiful, amazing image. But that leads us, leads us to one last thing that I want us to see in these readings. It's in Luke. It unveils, this all unveils, I think, what's going on in Luke. You'll see, in the, in the blessing of Aaron, if you read it carefully, you'll notice there are three times that the word Lord is used. And uh, you'll, you'll notice, you can even see it in your bulletin, the word Lord there is used, all of those letters are capitalized, it's all caps. And what that means is that the name there is the four-letter name given to God uh, given from God to Moses at the burning bush. Moses asks, who, who am I speaking to? And God says, uh, I am who I am, or I am that I am. And the Hebrew representation of that name, which is God's own voice giving his name, is the four consonants, Yod, He, Vav, He in Hebrew. The, it's unpronounceable. You can't say it. Uh, Jews to this day, in fact, do not say it. But the point is, you, you, you technically cannot say it. And yet it's specific, isn't it? He does have a name. God has a very particular name. It's not a generic name like God. You realize that God is actually not the name of God. <laughs> he has a name. And it's given to the people of Israel. But they can't say it. But they can carry it. And they do. Which leads us right to the footsteps of our reading from Luke. When you come into this reading from Luke, the Messiah 
the promised one of God has finally arrived. He is more than simply a teacher of Israel. He is more than a prophet. He's more than some leader of Israel. But as John says, he is the word made flesh. He is God made in human form. And then at the very end of that reading, as the whole world marvels at his birth, he's given a name. By the way, it is a very common name. It's one we've already seen in the Old Testament. Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. And what that means is that the blessing of the Father suddenly gets to be claimed by you and me. You see what's going on here? All of a sudden, the name of God that cannot be pronounced suddenly because his name is given in our own language, his name becomes pronounceable to human lips like yours and like mine. And it means that all of the blessings promised in the Old Testament, all of the blessings promised to Israel suddenly can be claimed by you and by me. See, the the kind of blessing that Jacob stole the kind of blessing that Aaron was enabled to bestow on Israel out of God's mercy, now is able to reside and to be claimed by our own lips because we, got, we know God's name. And that means on a practical level for you and me that you do not have to steal the blessing of God. You do not have to dress up for the blessing of God in someone else's clothing. You don't even have to wait on the blessing of God, in fact. Because he's already given you his name. It's the name of Jesus. You and I can say it. And when we say it, it means that we claim all of the blessings that God pours out on the abundant gift of Israel. It's all yours. If you can say his name. Here's one way to think about it. It's sort of a cheesy story, but you just bear with me. I, back in September, I was invited uh, by my in-laws to go to Disney World, and I did not think I would get a sermon illustration out of this trip, but here we are. Uh, but so my son, who was two and a half at the time, um, you know, we cart him all over Disney World. It's extravagantly hot. You wait in lines. And um, so we get into this ride, and it's dark. It's one of those inside rides, and you're sort of going along. I can tell he gets, he starts to get scared. We're sitting side by side. I have my uh, hand over his lap to sort of console him as we continue down the ride. But then there was this moment where he got the most scared, and he simply reached over, um, and he grabbed my hand. Of course, I was holding on to him again, so I, I was trying to reassure him, but because he was able to grab my hand, it was this comfort to him, and it was a kind of reassurance. And of course, all of my attention was suddenly oriented toward him as he grabbed my hand. See, what I'm getting at is when you know God's name, you're able to pronounce it when you can say it. It's like being able to grab his hand. It doesn't mean you're in total control. It doesn't mean that you manipulate him. It just means that you have the power to lay claim to all of God's attention because you know his name. And that is a remarkable blessing to turn the gaze of the Almighty God to your own person. Why? How? Because his name can abide on your lips. That's what the Feast of the Holy Name is about. It means that all of the promises given are yours because you can lay claim to them. You know the name of God in Jesus Christ. So I have two simple suggestions for you in this new year where we begin to reconsider 
and understand what it means to know God in the person of Jesus Christ. Use his name with great and abundant care. This is why in the Ten Commandments, they are so clear about why, you know, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to go down that. Use his name with great care. It is a special name given to you in, in the abundance of his love. But it's also an incredible power that should give you great, great confidence. Because you and I know God's own name it means that you can reach out, you can hold the hand of God the Father and turn all of his attention to you. That should change everything about you, how you see the coming year. hope it's good news for you. It's certainly good news for me. And the name, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.